So this morning I'd like to start by offering some instructions, some information really about how to practice here on this retreat, how to explore the meditation in the style that we're going to be practicing in. Sayadaw Utejaniya doesn't actually have a lot in the way of basic instructions. The basic instructions that he offers are pretty simple, pretty minimal. Um, Basically, notice that you're aware and what you're aware of, and notice what your relationship is to what you are aware of. That's the basic instructions. And yet, there's a lot of other information that goes into how we, how we pay attention, how we bring our um, minds to the practice. Essentially, um, orienting us to right view, which is the very first factor of the Eightfold Path. So it makes a lot of sense to start with right view and to um, orient ourselves from the perspective of what is it that we're doing here. We are looking at our minds, trying to observe and understand how we uh, suffer, how our minds create this struggle. And to, um, to observe that and to come into a skillful relationship with that. In coming into that skillful relationship, we um, don't need to do much about difficulties that come up. That skillful relationship allows those struggles, those difficulties, to take their own course, to follow their own nature, as Sayadaw Utejaniya actually says quite a lot. So the, um, the practice is really one of learning about right view and bringing it. At first we bring right view with um, reflection and thought, actually consciously reminding ourselves of what right view is. And over time, that right view becomes our own understanding. So initially, right view, we might think of right view in opposition to wrong view. You know, right view being an understanding of karma, that everything is a process, everything is a cause and effect, and that there are skillful actions that we can do to lead us towards less struggle, more happiness, when we engage and cultivate unskillful actions, act out of unskillful actions, we tend to move towards more suffering. Um, So first of all, just understanding that as a concept, as an idea, is where we begin. And then we can bring that to bear a little bit on our experience. And over time, we actually begin to observe and directly understand that in our experience. What is suffering? We understand what suffering actually is. We understand how it's caused by our own minds. We understand the possibility that uh, our own minds can let go of the clinging and holding, and we can experience a release from that suffering. And we begin to understand what the path is for moving in the direction of happiness. So we, we start by, essentially, um, Saito Utejaniya sometimes says, we borrow right view. We um, 
listen, we hear, we read, and we um, remind ourselves of this right view. We reflect on it. And over time, through that borrowed right view, we begin to uh, actually see our experience from a new perspective. And so the, the initially, perhaps, right view may stand somewhat in opposition to wrong view. But in the, the fullness of understanding, the right view isn't a, an idea, it isn't a concept, it isn't at the level of um, concept that we understand right view, it's at the level of experience. And so that is where we move towards, is this new perspective, a new way of seeing and understanding experience. And so um, a lot of what I talk about this morning will be, uh, some of it will be around how we can observe our experience. Some of it will be around ways to cultivate this skillful meeting of experience. And some of it will be about right view. So one of the first pieces I want to bring up is some terminology that Saira Utejaniya also often uses. You'll read it in his books, you'll hear me use it, and uh, you'll hear him use it when we listen to some of the talks that, or some of the Dharma discussions that he um, has. And the first uh, pair of terms that he uses is objects and mind. Objects are the experiences that we have, what we are observing, what is known in our experience. Sights, sounds, smells, tastes, touches, and thoughts, emotions, moods, all of those can be objects. It's (laughs) it's the what of our experience. And then the mind is what is doing the observing. So there is the observed and the observing. And the mind is what is doing the observing. Typically in our um, meditation practice, a lot of the way we've been trained is to pay attention to the objects. We, We notice what we are observing in great detail. We notice... That, that there's pressure, vibration, tingling, coolness. We notice that there is uh, sound. We notice there's sights. And we may notice form and color. We may get interested in, in what's, uh, what's happening out there and in our minds as well. Uh, thoughts arise. Emotions arise. We, we, um, we notice those as well. We notice, oh, I'm frustrated. I'm angry. So those are objects what is doing the observing is what we call mind. And the way to begin to include mind in, um, in our practice, to begin to recognize the mind, is to begin to ask or check into... So there's the what we're observing, but there's also how... It's being observed, how we are observing it. Is there tension or ease in the mind? Is there frustration or agitation in the how we are observing it? Sometimes this um, 
how we are observing gets lost because we're so interested in the what we are observing. So this is a this is a, a big piece of the exploration is to open to how we are observing, what our relationship to experience is. And I'll talk more about that in a little while. Um, just one, one little piece about this. The, the opening to the how we're observing, it's not that we're supposed to change how we're observing, but just become aware of it. Allow that then to become an object. Essentially, we're, what we're doing over time is um, there's the, the how we're observing often has some kind of filter or, or agenda or um, attitude, some, something in the how we're observing. And um, if that's not seen, if that's not known, then that filter whether it's frustration or eagerness, that filter is um, being, we are cultivating those qualities of mind when they're not clearly recognized. When we simply recognize, oh, there's eagerness in the mind, or there's frustration in the mind, then it becomes an object. And it's, it's no longer quite got the same power to, um, to guide us unconsciously when it's not seen as an attitude, when it's not seen, then it, it tends to be making choices for us. Those hidden attitudes tend to be making choices for us. So we uh, just become aware of these hidden attitudes, and then they become objects. And then there may be an attitude or a relationship to that as well. And I'll talk, I'll talk more about that. So this practice, again, very simple, minimal instructions. Um, the, the basic instruction of just notice that you're aware and what you're aware of. To start with, just notice that you're aware and what you're aware of. Um, to be able to enter into that space of noticing that you're aware and what you're aware of, really helpful to have relaxation, to cultivate relaxation. A, um, a relaxed mind, when the mind is relaxed, it's kind of naturally aware and naturally connecting to some experience. So when the mind is relaxed, there's not a lot of effort that we need to put into the, the mindfulness because a relaxed mind is kind of naturally aware. So the relaxed mind is supported by a relaxed body. So I like to suggest that at the beginning of a retreat, uh, at the beginning of a sitting perhaps, um, it will depend on different people, different days, you may find it helpful to consciously use some relaxation. I find it helpful, particularly at the beginning of a long practice period, 
to to start even some sittings at the beginning of a long practice period, mm-hmm. pretty much the whole thing I do is relax. Kind of in the way that we did last night with that relaxed body scan, just allowing the body to relax first. First allowing the muscles of the body to relax, the outer layers of the body to relax. Then allowing the inner, the core of the body to relax. And then seeing if there can be an inclining towards a relaxation of the mind. As we move more into the practice, as the retreat continues, and this will be different for different people, and this is why I'm saying it now, Um, it, it may be more helpful, rather than consciously relaxing, to simply notice that there's tension and observe that tension and see what happens to that tension. At some point, it will be very natural to just, oh, there's tension, and notice that tension, and then just simply watch it release on its own so that there doesn't have to be this efforting or doing to relax. But generally, I find at the beginning of a retreat, it's really, really helpful to take some time to consciously relax. Essentially, this relaxation becomes your initial object for your attention. Noticing where there's tension and allowing it to soften. Noticing where there's some more tension, allowing it to soften. So that becomes the mindfulness practice at the beginning. It's not, it's not like you're waiting to be mindful. You're being mindful in this process of relaxing. So there are, um, in, in the Eightfold Path, there's the section of the Eightfold Path that really deals with meditation, specifically deals with meditation, and that's the, um, the Samadhi section of the Eightfold Path, the three factors of wise effort, wise mindfulness, and wise concentration. And I'd like to talk a little bit about how these are understood in this practice, what it is that we're doing with effort, mindfulness, and concentration. So I'll start with mindfulness, just what it is. Um, in a very, I mean, mindful, it's, it's, it's actually not a very good definition of mindfulness. It's not really defined in the suttas. It's defined in terms of the four foundations of mindfulness. Um, but we can think about mindfulness as, uh, in a way, uh, of being the awareness that knows what's happening in the present moment. The, kind, the being aware of what's happening in the present moment, knowing what is happening while it's happening. So that there's, I mean, there's, there's a kind of an awareness that happens all the time in our lives. And I think we all know what it means to be aware that we're aware. We intuitively know that. That you know, there are times when we're aware and um, I mean, it's not that we're consciously aware. It's that the awareness is doing its thing and we're off maybe lost in thought you know we're we're thinking about something else you know we're in a daydream somewhere and yet there's um you know somebody walks through the room 
and um, we're not particularly consciously aware of that fact at the time. It's not like we're noticing, oh yes, so-and-so is walking through the room right now. We're kind of lost in our thoughts. And yet later, if somebody comes, comes and asks us, did so-and-so walk by, we may be able to say yes, because our faculties were functioning. Our perception faculties, our knowing faculties, they were functioning at the time. But we weren't really mindful of that person walking through the room. So there is a kind of an awareness that functions all the time. Even probably in sleep, there's an awareness that functions. But that's not necessarily what I mean by mindfulness, what we mean by mindfulness. Mindfulness is the, the kind of the self-reflective knowing that we are aware. So there's a, a, um, two, two aspects of this. There's, the very, there's just the noticing that we're aware, just recognizing, oh, I'm aware. And then there is the recognizing what we are aware of. So this is mind and object again. There is the mind that knows and what is recognized. There's naturally something that the mind is attending to. At any time, there's already something the mind is attending to. The, the, uh, we can become aware of what the mind is already attending to, or we can direct our attention. This is uh, one of these factors. It's kind of... It's, it's not quite like breathing, I think, but you know how breathing goes on whether we're paying attention or not, and yet we can control our breathing. So it's kind of got that quality that we can either just let it do its thing or we can consciously choose, okay, breathe in now, breathe out now, so we can choose. Attention is kind of similar to that. We can notice what the mind is naturally attending to on its own because it's always paying attention to something. Whether or not we are consciously choosing to pay attention to something, the mind is paying attention to something. And we can notice what the mind is naturally paying attention to. Or we can choose to direct the attention. We will use both in this practice. Um, we will mostly um, use the directing of the attention when the mind is a little bit struggling with the mindfulness, when it's not able to connect so easily with the experience, or it's hard for us to tell what is already naturally known. If that's the case, then we choose something something obvious in our experience. What's the most obvious thing that's happening for you? It doesn't have to be the breath. It can be the breath. But just some obvious experience, probably a bodily experience, a physical experience, is a place to begin. Over time, we'll begin to get comfortable and familiar with what it actually means to recognize what the mind is already paying attention to. And there, there will be times that the mind is... Um, more continuously aware and is just flowing between experiences and we can pick up on that flow. We can notice how attention is naturally going from one experience to another. 
this is, uh, this is how the practice, this is the direction this practice moves in. It may or may not be where you can begin. Some minds, some minds are, are more naturally um, inclined towards a more open style of awareness. Other minds are more naturally inclined to a, a, a focusing and a settling. This is not any judgment about minds. It's just we have different proclivities. So um, it will be different for each of you how, um, how much focusing and settling there is and how much opening to the flow of awareness there is. It, it'll just be different. And there's, there's no, no need to try to do anything other than what your mind is naturally doing. I'll talk more about that as we go. I'll probably talk a lot about that this, these two weeks. So that's a little bit about mindfulness. Effort in this practice, um, with the emphasis on relaxation, uh, the the effort, the emphasis with effort is really a kind of a very light touch. Just right now, pay attention to your hands. Notice the sensations of your hands. Notice the sensations of your buttocks touching the chair or cushion or, or bench. Notice the sensations of your lips touching. How hard is that to do when I mention those things? It's not usually, doesn't usually take a lot of effort to notice at some level the experiences that are happening when I point you to various areas. This is the appointing to the quality of effort at this very light touch. It doesn't take much effort to be mindful for a moment. What's more difficult is to sustain that effort, to sustain the mindfulness, to, to have it come into a continuity. And this is the place where I think we really make our uh, over-efforting happen is when we are trying to sustain the attention. I know that for myself, when I, um, for a long time, you know, when I was practicing meditation, I would sit down and be like, okay, I'm sitting here and I'm going to sit for an hour. I'm going to be mindful for the whole hour. And it's kind of like I pick up the effort it takes to be present, what I envision the effort would be to be present for the whole hour, and, and try to bring it in in this first moment of the sitting. <clears throat> I'm going to be mindful. Right, mindful. <laughs> that doesn't work very well. It doesn't work at all, actually, because we can really only be mindful for a few moments. So the effort in this practice is to be mindful for a few moments and then do it again and again and again. That light touch over 
and over and over again. Just continuing. I've, I've offered this analogy to this group in the past, and many of you have heard this, but there are some in here who haven't heard this, so I, I will um, offer my scooter analogy. Um, you know those scooters that kids ride on? They, um, you know, they've got those two little wheels, and there's a they're, they're razor, I think is what they're called, and they've got this narrow platform that you balance on. And you can't really balance on it without the momentum. So you need to start by tapping the ground, tapping the ground. So you tap and tap and tap. And after you get some momentum, then the momentum carries you for a while. And then you start to get familiar as you get skilled on this scooter. You start to get familiar with what it feels like for the wobbling to start. And so then you know you need to tap again. So this is kind of the way the um, light effort of mindfulness works. We, we start by reminding ourselves pretty frequently. Okay. And, and this reminding can be as simple, am I aware? What am I aware of? And it doesn't, you, you can use those words if that's helpful. And, and at the beginning it may be helpful to actually use those words, am I aware and what am I aware of? Um, you don't have to use those words, but some way to just help you remember, help you kind of point yourself to being aware. So that initial reminding yourself frequently kind of gets the momentum of awareness going. And then the next part of this is beginning to get familiar with what mindfulness feels like. What does mindfulness actually What does it feel like to be aware? And we start to see, we start to get familiar with what it feels like for that mindfulness to get a little wobbly, like the scooter gets wobbly. And then we we remind ourselves again. So that the you know if you're if you're you begin by reminding yourself, okay, am I aware? What am I aware of? Or just aware aware, just reminding yourself pretty frequently. But if over time you, your momentum, your momentum of mindfulness builds and you're um, already fairly aware and you're still reminding yourself aware, 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 that's over-efforting at that point. That's putting in too much effort. It's like tapping, 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 tapping. When you're already going pretty fast, it's, it's way too much effort. You can just ride for a while. So learning what it feels like to ride that wave of awareness and getting familiar with when it starts to get a little wobbly so that you can just reconnect again, reconnect with that. Okay, am I aware? What am I aware of? So this is a learning. We learn what it's like to feel, what mindfulness feels like. We learn that. We begin to, this is really the art of meditation, is learning how to apply effort. In this practice, it's really a very light touch. When I first went to see Sayadaw Utejaniya, um, the very first time I met him, the first instructions he gave to me were, the only work you need to give your mind is to remind yourself to be aware. We don't need to pick objects to be aware of. 
if we just remind ourselves to be aware and know that we are aware, there will be something that we are aware of. And it's very helpful to recognize what that is, what it is that we are aware of. So just um, I want to go back for a moment to um, this am I aware, what am I aware of? That first question, am I aware? Um, If you can even ask that question, you're aware. But what that question is really pointing to is the quality of awareness itself. When you, you ask yourself that question, am I aware, and you can answer yes, just be a little bit curious about, well, what is that? How do I know that I'm aware? So just kind of hold that as a, as a reflection. It's not something to do. But this question, am I aware, begins to point to the quality of awareness itself. And then the what am I aware of is pointing to the object. Knowing pressure, knowing vibration, knowing cold, knowing sound, knowing sight. Then there is um, the third aspect of the uh, samadhi section, the meditation development section of the Eightfold Path, which is concentration. And that is, um, in this practice, it really refers to this continuity of awareness. There are different kinds of concentration. There's the concentration that is developed as we stay with one object, as we stay with the breath, as we steady our minds on one thing, a kind of concentration develops. And that is not the kind of concentration that we are working towards in this practice. We are more cultivating the uh, stability of awareness itself, which is that awareness becomes continuous. So this is, again, that uh, pointing to that, beginning to recognize when that momentum of mindfulness is carrying us. We may have continuity for five seconds or ten seconds. That's a little bit of concentration that's developing in that time. So this concentration, this kind of concentration, basically allows us to be stable in the present moment with changing experience. Lots of things coming and going. The mind doesn't get pulled off or out of the present moment by any one of these arising things. When the mind is concentrated in this style and this kind of, uh, uh, we call it moment-to-moment concentration, anything can arise and the mind doesn't kind of get hooked to it and leap onto it and start to think about it. (coughs) Or if it does do that, you are completely aware of the fact that your mind has picked up something and started to think about it. So that the continuity of awareness doesn't depend on any one object. It is the stability of the mindfulness itself. And this will come and go. There'll be moments or times when we get a little bit of continuity, maybe a minute or two of continuity. 
And that would be pretty good, actually. You know, a minute or two of continuous awareness, and you can see things pretty clearly for that moment or minute or two. Then the mind may pick up. It's like, oh my gosh, wow, that's so amazing. Wow, this is fantastic. And then we're gone. (laughs) So just know that it comes and goes. It's not like it gets more and more continuous it, it kind of roughly goes in that direction over the time, but it'll kind of more go like this. You know, there'll be big waves in that continuity. So let yourself, give yourself a break. <laughs> um, the wandering mind is another piece just to, um, to talk about. You know, you will notice, of course, your mind will wander. In fact, it may feel like it wanders more initially in this style of practice. If you haven't done this style of practice much, it may feel like, wow, the mind is wandering all the time. If you are noticing the mind wandering all the time, like if you're sitting, doing a sitting for 45 minutes and you notice the mind wander like 100 times in that 45 minutes, you've got pretty good mindfulness going because you're noticing about every 30 seconds something's happening. You're noticing that mind, that the, that awareness. You may notice this this sense that there is more thinking happening in this practice. We will be. I will be talking a lot more over time about working with thinking itself. For now, in the uh, noticing of the wandering mind, the beginning practices for working with thinking. First of all, you're noticing the wandering mind. Mindfulness has returned. As soon as you notice, oh, I'm thinking, I'm wandering, the mind is off in a fantasy, the mind is off arguing, whatever it is doing, you have become aware. That's the first thing to recognize. Awareness has returned. Then, notice what you have become aware of. In that moment of mindfulness returning, mindfulness has returned spontaneously, and mindfulness is attending to something already. Usually, it's the thought thinking, arguing, planning, judging, remembering, fantasizing, describing, whatever it is, there is some... So notice that you've become aware and what you have woken up into. And then in that um, awareness, in recognizing that you have become aware and what you have woken up into, the next thing I like to suggest you do is to notice how that has impacted you. How has the um, fact that your mind been off thinking impacted your experience? It may have created tension. It may have tightened either the mind or the body. Notice that. If your mindfulness is pretty continuous, simply noticing, as the mindfulness gets stronger, simply noticing that tension has come up will be um, maybe enough to allow that tension to release a little bit. If not, come back to relaxation. There was one um, sitting I did in, in the monastery. I was a, a couple weeks into the retreat, I think, where I, I recognized that, that the mind was so tense. You know, it just, it, it just kept being tight and tight and tight. And what I discovered that the best thing that I could do for that sitting was just come back to relaxation over and over again. So if you notice that there's a lot of tension in the mind and it doesn't naturally release 
when you notice it. So you come, come aware of thinking, you notice that there's tightness and tension, body and mind. If it doesn't naturally release when you notice it, spend some time cultivating relaxation again. Another thing that may happen, and I find this happens more, well, it can happen if the, there's low energy and the mind kind of just drifts off. Um, and it can happen more as the retreat goes on. So when there's um, low energy and the mind just kind of wanders out of the present moment, it's not like charging out of the present moment, thinking about something in particular, just like, it's just like there's not quite enough energy to keep yourself present, and it just drifts off. When we wake up into that kind of drifting, I often find, actually, if I pay attention to how that has impacted me, that I'm more relaxed when I come back into the present moment. Sometimes I even have found that what that drifting out of the present moment has indicated is that I've been making too much effort. The mind is naturally recognizing, wow, this is too much, let's just let go of this, you know, and it just wanders out of the present moment as a means to relax. Now, we can do that mindfully, and we can simply recognize when that happens, we can recognize, okay, the mind has wandered out of the present moment, wake up, here I am, okay, there's some ease here. You can make use of that ease in coming back to the present moment. If you are, if you have a relationship with the thinking mind that is um, kind of combative, you know, thinking again, you will miss that possibility to recognize that there has been some additional relaxation has happened while your, your mind has been wandering. So, checking into um, what you've become aware of, how it is, how has it impacted you? At that point, you're back in the present moment. There's no need to do anything else other than just keep recognizing. Okay, I'm aware. What am I aware of? I'm aware. What am I aware of? If you find there's kind of a a pull back into the thinking, um, you might want to connect with some kind of pro- uh, um, obvious experience, primary object breathing, or some obvious physical experience to help you stay present. And now I'd like to talk a little bit about. Um, the attitude, our how, the how of our awareness. So as um, Sayadaw Usaitanya is uh, famous for saying, sometimes awareness alone is not enough, the title of one of his books. So this, um, you know, cultivating effort, mindfulness, concentration, is not enough if it's not connected with wisdom, if it's not joined with an understanding of wise, wise view, wise understanding. Um, we need to observe wisely. So in this 
in our practice, what this means is beginning to pay attention to how we are relating to our experience. How we're paying attention. So this, um, this includes how we're relating to the objects of our attention. So, you know, there's a, a, a pain in the knee that we're noticing. And there's, behind that, there's a frustration or a, 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 an aversion or a resistance to that pain in the knee. So that's, a, that's an attitude to that object. And that attitude can be really impacting our whole experience. When we're resistant to pain, for instance, it, it kind of, well, it makes the pain worse, but it also impacts our whole experience. It, it may tend to have us be resistant to any other experience that's arising. So learning to recognize our relationship to the objects of our experience is one of the um, tools for beginning to observe the how of our experience. And simply to ask the question, what's my relationship to this experience? What's my attitude about this experience? How am I with this experience? Using whatever language works for you can actually ask that question. This is one of the uh, tools that uh, that Saito uh, Utejaniya does suggest is using questions for investigation. Investigating the attitude. What is, what is my attitude? What's my relationship to experience? So there's the attitude we have about the objects of our experience. And then there is a kind of a subtler level of attitude that can go unnoticed, which is our agendas, our views about the meditation itself. What we're supposed to be doing, how it's supposed to be unfolding, where I'm supposed to be right now at this point in the retreat, all kinds of um, agendas and ideas about the practice itself. So that's another area to explore. So the object of experience, what we are paying attention to, is not so important here. What is important is this, this attitude, how we are paying attention to experience. There, uh, Usaira Utejaniya often talks about right attitude, um, a, de- a definition for right attitude is something like um, a, co- a way of observing that allows you to be at ease with anything that's happening in your experience. And so if we have right attitude, any object is the right object. It doesn't matter what we are paying attention to, as long as our attitude is balanced. And if we all had balanced attitude, we would be enlightened. So this is our work. We're not going to have right attitude right away. Part of the way to explore and um, get to, to understand what right attitude is, is by studying it's opposite. Studying defilement, studying greed, aversion, delusion in the mind, studying wrong attitude. So the way this, this kind of works is that we 
notice something, something in our experience is happening, a pain in the knee, and then we recognize, okay, what's my relationship to that? I don't like this, Ah, resistance. So we notice the resistance, the resistance. So we recognize the resistance (coughs) is there. And then just that very noticing, kind of opening our attention to include that. We don't have to try to make that resistance go away in order to have right attitude. If we're trying to make the resistance to go away in order to have right attitude, that's wrong attitude. <laughs> because we're trying to make something change. We're trying to make something go away. So the, the exploration is, can I just allow that wrong attitude to be part of the field of what is known? Essentially, becoming aware of wrong attitude frustration in the mind, resistance in the mind, eagerness in the mind. Becoming aware of that changes it from an attitude that's controlling our, you know, making our choices for us. It changes it from that to it being an object. It's just something else in the field of what is known. Oh, resistance is happening, and this pain is happening, and resistance is, oh, and frustration is happening, and oh, this is interest, oh, interest is happening. It's just something else in the field of what is known. So it is no longer um, operating as what Saira Utejaniya often uses the word defilement. Um, It's no longer defiling or obscuring or hindering or um, clouding how we're observing because it is being known itself. So there's roughly four kinds of attitude that you might notice in your experience. Attitudes of greed, aversion, delusion, and then there would be balance of mind. So the first three are, I I know you're all familiar with greed, aversion, and delusion, (laughs) and the various flavors of them, you know, they, they range from the really obvious and gross, you know, I hate that. Or the feelings of anger, rage, you know, the really strong, and the, the really strong, I need that, Ugh, you know, I'm not going to be okay unless I have that. To the milder, wow, that's really cool. Or, I don't like that. So there's a real range in terms of the, uh, uh, the attitudes that we might see. And then balance of my, I'll talk more about delusion later in the week, how we see delusion. You may start to get curious about that. Um, It's too long of a conversation to have at this moment to talk about how you might see uh, delusion, but know that delusion is operating whenever greed and aversion are present. Um, And then delusion can operate on its own. It often kind of feels like a cloud or a filter or uh, something obscuring It's often related, it is related to identification. If you feel identified with something, there's delusion in the mind. Those are a few pieces. And then there's the the balance of mind. Just, you know, you check in, what's my attitude, what's my relationship to this this experience? And it's like, this is okay. You know, this feels okay. So, in checking the attitude, we may find, you know, just asking the question, what's my attitude? We may find 
an obvious um, attitude in the mind. And one thing I, I just realized I need to say about asking this kind of question. So asking the question, what is the attitude? Or using questions in this practice at all, which I'll talk about more as we go through the, the time here. Um, using questions, it's not to try to find the answer to the question analytically or through thought. It's kind of just dropping the question in and seeing what comes up. So it's not about thinking about or trying to find the answer. So you drop the question in, what's my attitude? And then see if there's something obvious that's there. Pain in the knee, what's my attitude? Oh, I don't like this. Okay, there it is. Um, it It may not be so obvious. It may be that you don't particularly recognize what the attitude is in that moment. That's fine. Don't try to find one. If there's one that's obvious, allow that then to become part of the field of what we know. If there isn't an attitude that's obvious, just let it go and continue noticing that you're aware and what you're aware of. Um, Sometimes when we um, don't find a particular attitude, it may be because we're not so familiar with the kind of calm, ease of balanced mind. So that you could try that on if you're not finding a particular attitude. It's like, is this, is this okay? Does this feel okay? So checking the attitude, we can get a little vigorous about this, you know, um, a little eager about checking the attitude. And I've found in my own experience it's not so helpful to have a a real vigorous checking the attitude practice. You know, like, what's my attitude? Oh, what's my attitude? What's my, and what's my attitude of that? And that, and that. Kind of, it can almost go into a, an endless regress that way. Um, I generally find it helpful to check the attitude from time to time. Maybe every few minutes, checking the attitude. It begins to become kind of intuitive for yourself when to check the attitude. And I find there to be some particularly good times to check the attitude. So one, if there's any struggle happening in your experience, if you feel like you're struggling, check your attitude. If you feel like, uh, when you come back from the wandering mind, that's another good time to check the attitude. What, what is your um, attitude about what's been happening? What's your attitude about waking up? What's your What's your attitude that's present as a result of the mind having wandered? Just check your attitude when you come back from the wandering mind. And then, um, if you feel like it's going really well, check your attitude. (laughs) So that's enough for me right now.